0: Bloody Elbow presents the Level Change Podcast, a combat sports variety show that brings you analysis, fight breakdowns, and insightful discussion of MMA's biggest headlines. Here are your hosts, Steffi Haynes and Victor Rodriguez.
1: Welcome back, and thank you for listening to episode 232 of the Level Change Podcast. I'm Steffi Haynes, and I'm joined, as always, by this super dope guy, Mr. Victor Rodriguez. And yo, I have the most incredible story for you to start off right now. Um, just quick, you know, headline bait. Paige Van Zant sold a little card, a picture card of herself, that she kissed with lipstick for $13,200. Uh, you know <laughs> a kiss card, a kiss card. I mean, listen, Paige is wow. She's a smoke show. There is no other way to describe her. But thirteen thousand two hundred. There are so many better ways I can think of spending that kind of money. But I mean, I'm super happy for the guy that got it because they clearly wanted that kiss.
2: Okay. Okay, listen, let me explain something to you. Okay. <laughs> this is this is just Uncle Victor dropping a little bit of knowledge right here. I ain't gonna do too much. All right. But if this was a guy who would spend maybe three, four thousand, I'd be like, man, that guy probably scrimped and scrounged and mm-hmm. really pulled in some overtime and pulled out the shoe under his bed to get that money together and make it happen. Thirteen thousand, that's just a pervert with disposable money and God bless him. He's keeping her in in, in a good financial bracket he probably already was, if he wasn't going to piss that money away on that, he wasn't going to donate it to cancer research. I'm sorry to inform you of that. Perverts with money remain undefeated. And this is yet another example. Imagine if she had rubbed that on the bottom of her foot on camera. and it
1: Man, <laughs> oh, she could God charge God. like triple. She could have gotten 50,000
2: for it. She could have got, my God, she could have paid off my house. Do you understand? <laughs> Do you understand the kind of money that is implied? Because that is what happens. Because this is probably some, it, It's it's the worst thing is, it's probably not even some dude like, the sultan of brunei or no it's some dentist out and probably the same dentist out of jersey that shot that that fucking lion it's probably somebody like that it's it's not you know was he from i don't know he's probably from texas i'm, I mean, sh- I'm
1: sure probably. he was texas or Florida. sorry one or the <laughs> sorry
2: steppy but yeah i mean <laughs> shit texas slander stays alive and so do perverts with money you can't stop them so 13 grand good for her i could only aspire to get that much coin for something so minimal
1: Smart on her because she immediately redirected everybody to her husband's sports card uh eBay site because apparently he deals sports cards. And so she used that opportunity to promote his stuff. They are such a cute couple. I don't care what anybody says if they're cringe Mm -hmm. or whatever. They are so in love and so supportive of each other. I think it's just adorable. So
2: And I am very happy to see them continuing that grind they're Mm -hmm. keeping it going man yeah people are willing to pay that money and you're hey look you got you, you this is what better form of support is that hey by the way speaking of cards right wink there's i know a guy who sells cards and oh yeah here's another less pervy hobby but you know you could also get something going with that and make it relatively lucrative sure why not that's brilliant
1: and the other thing, too, is that they spend a lot of money setting up these photo shoots. They're professional. The one that she's got in the boxing right now with the beautiful backlighting and everything. I mean, it's clear these are pro shots, pro videos. I mean, everything she's doing has a very polished effect. I mean, they're not skimping and I'm i am loving seeing her flourish doing something that isn't uh, going to leave her wondering what her kids' names are 20 years out.
2: I mean, you can accuse her of many things. None of them will stick other than she is a very shrewd businessman.
1: Yes, indeed.
2: And I don't think there's anything wrong with that. People are willing to pay good money to see you in various states of undress or fully clothed, doing weird, you know, or, or not even that, just not that out of the ordinary stuff. Hey. That's that's fine. You're offering a little bit more of your privacy to uh, open this door to make it happen. I mean, if you want to have discussions about the ethics of that, I don't think she's taken this to to what I can observe to an unreasonable or um, dangerous degree in any way to her or anyone around her. So go ahead, man. Shit, Make that money. Goddamn.
1: Yep. And you know who else I like to pearl? They're doing it in a way that is clearly fine with them. So I don't right. have a problem with it at all. Get that money.
2: If they're calling the shots again, yeah, like you said, right? If they're if they're comfortable and they're in control of it and not, you know, under the guise of any sort of manipulation. That's really, when I see these people when I see like Rachel Osevich mm-hmm. blowing things up on Instagram with sponsored posts like good for her. Yep. Good for her. Well you want to keep getting punched in the mouth until you're fifty? Why not no? Good. Capitalize on that. If you if you can make that happen, fine. If you see it like anytime you see a, a female fighter, uh um, with an only fans or something like that. Good, good. Fuck it. That's, that's listen, man, we can't complain on the one hand about how unforgiving and, and how um, minimal the returns are mm. in combat sports right. from the majority of the participants. And then see somebody who's probably not going to be on championship level, going ahead and expanding their popularity elsewhere and still being affable and cool and fine. Like you, you can't, you can't have that, but we have different, you know, people have um, their own hangups about how they view sex and how they view women and how that whole thing ties together. And, you know, that's, that's something that thankfully we've had a lot less to contend with in recent years.
1: For sure. Now I have another quick headline grab here. I, I couldn't help but notice what a nice guy Alex Volkanovsky is. Now, this is in regards to his position on the pound-for-pound pound list, because if we go back in our memory palaces, we will recall that he retained his pound-for-pound pound status despite the loss to Islam Makachev in a fight <laughs> that was basically billed as this is the fight for pound-for-pound for pound status. Mm-hmm. Now. Last weekend, John Jones returned after three-plus years, went up in weight, fought a non-wrestling zero-gone. He leapt nine positions in the pound-for-pound pound race, and guess who's now in the top spot? John Jones. <laughs> so, Alex Volkanovsky goes on Steve-O's show on YouTube, and this is what he has to say about it. And I just, man what a nice guy. He says, and I quote, everyone loves talking about it. It's a big deal. I'll be honest with you. Becoming a champion was great. Being pound for pound number one was greater. John Jones took that from me. I don't think with all the rankings, but the UFC, yes. It was just that one fight in three years. But what he did moving up, At least he moved up and showed that pound for pound comes into play. The body of work that we've done in the last three years, obviously, a lot of people are going to be like, look what Alex has done in the last three years. You can get that. But at the same time, look at what John Jones has done as well. Can I really argue that? He's going to be one of the greatest of all time. For him to take that is like, damn it, what do you do? And I, I look at that and I think how graceful he was in that reply. He has the, the fine art of talking himself up while not tearing anybody else down. And I love that here he is. He's lost his pound for pound ranking and He made sure that he was not disparaging in any way. He actually um, finished it off with, what do you do? He's one of the greatest of all time. How can I argue that?
2: Yeah, that that certainly is very uh, diplomatic of him. But it also shows that as much as he enjoyed being at the number one pound for pound list, I think he also maybe might have had a bit of recognition in there. Like, this stuff is very subjective, man. You know, if this guy... If this guy can come in off a lengthy absence and beat that guy, I mean, you're going to sit there and tell me that that Jones versus Ghan was a tougher matchup than Islam versus Alex. (laughs) I mean, you got to grade this on a curve and unfortunately they do, but It has to be along the lines of weight because immediately, just because it's a heavyweight fight, now we got to give it a higher level of prominence and then the star power of John Jones. Like, is that the equation? Because that's what it looks like from over here. Like, that's 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 what the map is looking like. Mm -hmm. You know, I want to be wrong, but I cannot shake the feeling that I might be right. And I hate being right because as we was established recently, whenever I'm right about something, it's never something good and that's probably what the deal is but uh, i would have,
1: i would argue you there because you know what you've been right on a whole heck of a lot lately your goddamn <laughs> picks but we'll get to that in a minute <laughs> i don't even want to discuss this because you're six ahead of me already six you, uh, you are leading the race too you're two ahead of mookie you're six well, we just
2: had you. daylight savings. Trust me, this magic will not last.
1: I don't think so. I think this is <laughs> your year. But anyways, we'll get to that in a moment. And in case you're wondering why, God damn, Krooky sure is talking a lot. We're saving Victor's because he is going to put his two stories together as one big one. So I have one more story here. Then we're going to get to Victor's. And then we shall break down the fight night we just watched. So my story is in regards to that fight night. It's Dana White's warning to Mayor Vili about turning down fights against his friend, you know, Aljamain Sterling, his best friend, his brother, basically. We've seen this before, but it was an entirely different set of circumstances. And I'm referring to the rivalry that stemmed from the, the, the previous friendship of John Jones and Rashad Evans, because... They were both at Greg Jackson's. Rashad was there first, and then John showed up later. They started out friends. They were training together. What had happened was they set the fight with John Jones and Rashad Evans, and Greg Jackson made his choice of who he was going to corner. And that choice was John Jones. Hence, Rashad Evans leaves, goes to the Black Zillions. We all know the, the drill. Anyways, different scenario than actually... Having someone fight their best friend, their training partner of many years, it's just a different scenario altogether. So in the post-fight presser, Dana says, I don't remember who the hell I was talking to the other day about this. And I was like, we don't have to deal with that bullshit anymore. Back in the early days, the camps were so small, you didn't have a whole lot of options. So we had a lot of those guys saying, oh, he's my friend. He's my friend. You can still be friends and want what your friends have. It would be a really bad idea for Merab to go down that path. Does Merab want a shot at the title? Or would Merab rather have people under him jump over him and have to take on all those different tough guys when he's not even getting a title shot when he's next in line for it? That's a personal decision he needs to make. If that's what he wants to do, I can tell you how that story ends. It's not a good ending to that story, but he's a big boy. He can figure that out on his own. Here's my take on that. Merob, I feel like, is already in a bad position by virtue of being besties with Aljo. Because Aljo has never really sat in good graces with Dana White in the UFC. Way back in 2016, Aljo made the cardinal sin of talking about fighter pay and expressing that he might want to explore free agency because he was looking for the best deal for himself and his family. The next thing you know, they were burying him on the prelims. After the fight with Carraway, when he's on, on the come up, he's out there and he's doing good things. He runs into Marlon Morais, you know, gets starched back on the horse again, starts running through people, gets the first Sayuev stretch on that card that Zabit also got one. Aljo actually got his first. And if you watch him, I mean, I don't know. I'm looking at them and I actually think that Aljo's was kind of more dynamic, but you know, that's personal preference in any event. We have Aljo, who's never sat well with Dana. They never promote his fights. He has only had a co-main event spot. His very first one was when he um, defended his belt against uh, Pyotr Jan in the rematch. And then again, his second co-main event was in his last fight against Dillashaw. Those are the only two co-main events he's ever had. They do the bare minimum of promotion, if you can even call that, of of any of his fights, especially his title fights. So here comes Merab, his devoted teammate, his bestie, loyal to a fault. Willing to wait. Specifically stated, I'm willing to wait. Aljo says he's moving up. I'm willing to wait. So, by virtue of being besties with Aljo, who is not in good graces, and here he's saying something that Dana views as problematic, because, you know, salacious Dana is probably foaming at the mouth at the idea of the way that they can spin some internal team blood rivalry. The way that they sort of did it with John Jones and Rashad Evans, only this one would be fake. And I think that Dana's kind of Pissy that that's not how it will shake out. It's just my own personal feeling. This is not anything that's rooted in fact. It's just my observations and how I'm connecting dots. Victor, Hmm. what do you think?
2: Okay, let let me see if I understand this properly. You're telling me Dana White, perennial teenager, (laughs) is having a tantrum because he's not getting what he wants? Mm -hmm. Is that what you're trying to imply here? Mm
1: -hmm.
2: No, okay. We're good. Hey, let me read you a quote here, and I, and I want you to just just note the uh, the patterns here. Okay? I want you to just note, because I'm and I'm really, really happy that you opened this the way that you did, and you will see why in a moment. Quote, if you truly believe that you're the best in the world, you should be ready to fight anybody, because whoever you fight on the way up, or guys, if you win the title, these are the guys that are coming at you anyway. You might as well stay active. You might as well make money. Fighters have a very small window of opportunity, and this kid is just letting the window close. That is a quote from 2011. That is a quote from Dana White. And Dana White was referring to Rashad Evans. I'm going to continue here because this is an interesting thing here. And again, continue with this thread. keep this in mind. Quote, and now it's in this situation, referring to the John Jones beef, where this guy is my friend and that guy is my friend. Dude, you have way too many friends. You need to keep the friends thing down and stop training with people. Now he's talking, maybe I'll go to heavyweight. Maybe I'll go to middleweight. Well, if he goes to middleweight, Nate Marquardt is one of the top middleweights in the world, one of his friends. Shane Carwin is one of the best heavyweights in the world, and that's one of his friends. He's got too many friends. Oh, okay. That's really cute. Notice that he's got, essentially, he's employing the same the same patterns of speech, which is not that unusual, but he's got the same exact line of thinking, the same rationale. Hey, man, business over friendship. You know, you got to do it. You got to do it. This is not the same situation. Mm-hmm. Clearly, there is no animosity between them. Clearly, Mirab trusts Aljo yes. implicitly. He will follow that man everywhere, okay? And and I don't think that's necessarily a bad thing. The environment at Jackson Winklejohn a decade ago is very different from the environment at Sara Longo or Law MMA or, you know, whatever uh, this confluence of, of gym soups that you uh, want to bring together here. But the point that I'm trying to make here is that he's applying the same form of logic. He's looking at this in exactly the same form. When you're looking at a guy like Aljo, whom when he says he'll move up, I kind of believe him. I mean, he hasn't been too vocal about how bad the weight cuts are, but he definitely has noted that they're not a picnic, and that he does not want to uh, keep doing that for too long. So I don't see anything really wrong there. And if you have a guy like Marab, whom you've trained with, who has been your number one guy and your solid rock, and Marab views him the same way, what are we doing here? Why are you trying to sow division here? For a fight that isn't even probably going to make all that much money, do you think Mirab really has that kind of star power if they were to do it? Do you really, Putting aside the training situation, do you really think that this is something that would sell? And if we want to talk about so, I mean, you got to promote that fight. And I don't have faith that they're going to be able to strongly promote that fight. Speaking of promotion, a bit of a side note. I just saw here, Power Slap <laughs> ended its season, its maiden voyage, with the worst ratings of the season, worst ever, Came in at the, uh, let me see, 106th rated cable show for the night. So that just goes to show you the power of promotion in play. This is what it ends up looking like when you push it upon the shoulders of the high and mighty Dana White. It ends up with this. This is this is what you get. So you imagine applying that. Imagine applying this the same lazy, lackluster approach to a fight between Marab and Aljo to make all that, not so much money in, in, in really all things considered. For what? For what? Wait, so you just you just you, you created a rift between these two when you can in fact have two champions from the same camp if you just chill out? If you just let these guys do their thing? Why are you, as a grown ass man, trying to be an interloper in, in this 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 very noble and, and very uh kind friendship, a very rare type of friendship that you see at the uh, elite levels of the sport? What are you gonna tell these guys to do? Move somewhere else? What the hell do I gotta move for? The fuck you mean I got to train somewhere else because I'm here because I got to fight my friend because you say so? Nah, man, that's that's just... I, I mean, wh- where do you even go with that? With the levels of this just on its face. Businessman wants two friends to fight for minor financial gain. That's really all it is. Yeah. I mean, unless they stack that card to high heaven and give these two pay-per-view points, there's not really that much of a selling point now, is there? And I love those two guys, but let's be honest. Is a casual fan really that big and people who don't usually spend money on pay-per-views are they going to be happy to show it out on that
1: Mm. and the other thing too that we should note is how deep the roster is they are continually adding guys to both bantamweight and featherweight and, and all the rest of the roster there is a continuous flow the roster's never been as deep and dense as it is right now there's no reason why that they can't build other contenders but they're content to do this contender series uh shuffle (laughs) where the 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 pipeline is just feeding in contender series fighters so that they don't have to uh jack up their athlete expenses and by athlete (laughs) expenses i mean fighter pay so you know come on
2: it's gotten so bad. The ecosystem has now shifted Mm -hmm. to the point where the beast eats itself. Because look at this recent season of the ultimate fighter. It's a bunch of dudes that were in the UFC already. Mm -hmm. Most of them were either on the ultimate fighter or on contender series
1: remember season five of the ultimate fighter it was the redemption season that's when matt sarah and mikey burnett and all of those guys came back or maybe it was season four it was either season was four you four, know yeah. yeah it was one it of was,
2: was, that was, was like a top five season
1: yeah right it was the season that matt sarah won and got the opportunity to fight gsp and be gsp but i mean yeah, we're we really are watching the the UFC eat itself. Pretty much, it's devouring itself. And Dana's off the rails. I mean his his video where he's asking how many of you actually watched. Dude, you're making your <laughs> own point. You don't even realize that. Oh my god, how many of you covered it? Well, duh. You're talking to a single dude and he's from slap news. They literally invented that just for you, man. It's sad. Victor, give me something else to talk about.
2: I just think there should be some kind of legislation. There needs to be a baseline or something where you can't be past a certain level of wealth and be that much dumber than the rest of the population. I refuse to accept that somebody this fun- fundamentally and functionally fucking stupid mm-hmm. can just live their life and do whatever they want mm-hmm. and not have rules apply to them. And I'm sitting here working like a grunt, getting my ass beaten to the dirt by capitalism. I think it's a beautiful thing. I just It's just one 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 gut punch after another every other day you just get punched in the dick. Good stuff, baby. Good stuff.
1: You know, what gets me is that he is successful only because he got to coast along on the coattails of his besties, Frank and Lorenzo Fertitta. They were the ones with the the super sharp business acumen. They were the ones with the money and the connections. They brought him along for the ride. And ever since then, he has this inflated sense of his own business acumen, which is absolute dog shit. Everything he touches personally that he attaches his name to, with the exception of the Contender series, has been a flop. I mean, what the hell happened to Zufa Boxing? Nothing. Here And here we have Power Slap getting ready to get shipped off to Abu Dhabi to fight island, where that they can regulate it themselves. Now that all these regulatory commissions, especially the guy from the Vegas athletic commission that came out and said, you know, I I think we might've made a bad thing here. You know, of (laughs) course he is no longer with the athletic commission. So he's saying this thing is an afterthought. He certainly didn't have a fucking thing to say about it when it was going on.
2: You know what? This is where I have, this is where I'm disappointed Mm -hmm. In you, Stephanie mm-hmm. Gertrude Haynes, oh, how yeah. are you going to sit there? How are you, Stephanie Ernestine Haynes, you going <laughs> to sit there and look me in the digital fucking face and tell me, I want you know what? I want to know. I want to know when we have this conversation <laughs> three years from now and you tell me that Zufa phone booth fights is not a success. <laughs> I want to know. I wanna, I'm, I'm going to be sitting here <laughs> laughing at you and pointing and going, ha, ah, ah, ha, ah. ha. That's right. I'm going to type it out real slow. That's okay. the sport of, that's, that's, that's going to be bigger than X-Arm. Watch. <laughs> so, Art David, you have met your motherfucker match. <laughs> <laughs> David, where is our David? He's running a car wash in Rosita right now. What's he got going on?
1: I have no clue, but man, oh man, <laughs> you're on one today.
2: <laughs> he probably runs those supermarkets that sponsor the Bellator prelims, which I I must go to because my God, if they're putting that kind of money into this. Mm-hmm. They they gotta have some good Mexican food. I they I just know it. Them 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 supermarkets out west, boy, they built different.
1: Yes. Uh, this is true.
2: Yes. Yes. Speaking of being built different, we are going to address a little something that happened over the course of the weekend. And I don't know how many of you caught this. I don't know how many of you missed it. Bellator had a cracker of a card yes, they did. this past Friday. And they uh, unfortunately did have one fight that, well, didn't really go the way anybody wants it to go. Goiti Yamauchi was up against MVP, Michael Venom-Page. And uh, unfortunately, in the very first round, it was one leg kick. That's all it took for Michael Page to snipe and basically obliterate Yamauchi's leg. Uh, dude fell to the canvas. It was not good. Um, clutched it. Everything got called off. And uh, turns out, Scott Coker addressed this situation with an update, stating that, uh, quote, based on the x-ray, it's a patella tendon rupture, <gasps> so that sounds very painful. That
1: means a yeah. floater. He's literally—it's just banging around in there.
2: Um, yeah, yeah, don't, don't sound good at all. So yeah, it seems more than likely he's going to need surgeon, uh, surgery. Sorry, uh, the American Academy of Orthopedic Surgeons had, uh, in fact, noted that it's you know, on average it's usually a six to twelve month uh, recovery period from surgery. So, I mean, not all surgeries are created equal. Not all injuries are equal. We'd have to find out to what extent that knee has been compromised and what kind of repair work can be done for him to return at a safe and healthier timeline, because, of course, none of this is really fully healthy, if you want to think of it that way. Um, Yeah, man, really, really sad, sad stuff to see. I mean, it is the heart business. We know. We understand that there are risks and injuries that are going to be part of the situation. But damn, dude, that's that's rough. I mean, you're taking a year off of this guy's career. But obviously, look, it's not like Paige intended to harm him more than necessary. was what it was. In fact, when I asked about this, he said, quote, I saw him go down, and I just thought, I don't know, damage, you know, like nerve damage or whatever. But when I saw him grasp his leg, I was like, he's not getting back up. I didn't see the lump until I looked up at the screen. I'm in my celebrating element. Then I actually looked up to see what it was, and it kind of took the energy out of me. Okay, I guess no Pokéball for that one then, huh? Damn.
1: <laughs>
2: um, I, yeah, I, it is actually kind of nice to hear Paige say that, mm-hmm. you know, even he was like, yeah, I need to pump the brakes on this. That man's suffering right there. I don't know. There's just something pretty human about that. Maybe I'm just a sap for that sort of thing.
1: Maybe so, he, we're seeing some personal growth from Paige.
2: It could be that. I mean, especially after the whole caving in cyborg skull mm-hmm. fiasco. Uh, I think he kind of realized like yeah i 've been doing a little more damage to these guys than I had anticipated, so I want to know, did you see this as it happened or when it happened, and did you think that the uh, damage was as extensive when you saw it?
1: Oh yes, and yes, <laughs> I mean, you could literally see it looked like he kicked his kneecap up into his thigh. I mean, Ugh. you could watch it, you could watch it move. When I saw that, I knew right away that, that dude, that's a, that's your, whenever they say blow knee, that is exactly what I think of right there. I mean, his, his kneecap was literally free floating in there Mm. and the way that they immediately put pressure on it, that's, that's the right thing to do. I saw a lot of people were like, why did they do that? That's what you want to do. It's literally banging around in there a piece of bone just floating around in there. You do want to sort of stabilize it. So, yeah.
2: I just I'm just thinking about this. Like people are grabbing the leg, and the way you're describing, it's like it's still shooting around, banging off the walls, like 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 a like a
1: straight bullet in somebody's (laughs) cranium. That's exactly the 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 image that's painted in my head right now. You have pretty extensive vasculature in your knee, and there's a major artery that runs down the back of your knee that is called the popliteal artery. Now, there's no way that your kneecap could possibly get that far back and that artery but there's a lot of vessels and veins and capillaries that branch from it you kind of want to preserve the tissue in there you kind of want to make sure that it's it's not being restricted either because swelling is also an issue and so you don't want to have that all that swelling around that bone that uh, could could do some damage in there so you want to make sure that you address it immediately
2: well interestingly enough we're going to talk about someone else who faced a lot of pressure in a different way and yet another gruesome leg injury. That's right, folks. Chris Weidman turns out he has not fought since what 2021. And if you remember, oh man, that was rough. Uh, The same way that he ended up breaking Anderson Silva's leg, it turns out that that came full circle and bit him. And so he has been recovering and, um, Basically asked by many people, hey, man, you uh, think about hanging it up? You ever think about maybe not doing that and not trying to get back into any combat sports whatsoever? He has steadfastly refused. And over the course of this past weekend, he was at Polaris 23, where he took on England's own judoka and wrestler Owen Livesey, a tremendous grappler in his own right, and unfortunately lost the decision. But regardless, he had some moments really pretty damn good. And for a guy who's not only 38 but had a life-changing, not career-altering, but life-changing type of injury and subsequent rehabilitation to make sure that he was able to recover from he's doing great. Now, there are some clips out there on on Twitter, and and mostly because of its uh, proximity to the uh, Fight Pass account. If you have Fight Pass, you were probably able to watch the whole thing, in which case, great, because Polaris gives out some extraordinary content and some amazing um, uh, matchups as is. But yeah, that was it. Weidman did not win. I don't think it's super unreasonable to uh, expect for someone who dedicates himself exclusively to grappling to win someone who is more of a generalist or has more of their uh, both feet planted in the MMA world, so to speak. And I mean, look, you do what you can. He did the best he could. He looked good, but he looked most importantly fresh. He looked healthy. He looked strong. And in a very emotional post-match interview, he discussed, the road getting to where he's at, quote, I wasn't sure if I was going to be able to compete again in anything. So to be able to come out here and put on a show for you guys, win or lose, is truly a dream. All you haters that just think I suck and I should retire, thanks for the motivation because I'm going to prove you guys wrong. I'm going to prove you guys wrong when I get into a UFC fight. Okay, see, you had me at first. (laughs) But now you kind of, we're getting a little, do I want to see him get back into MMA? You know what, if his body allows for it, And he's paired up in a competitive matchup where he's able to go out there and do his thing and, and, you know, be competitive. Then good. Good. Absolutely. I'm absolutely for it. But where I start to have problems and we've discussed this any time we have addressed any anything related to Chris Weidman. uh, I don't think he can hang with the elite anymore. I don't think that is a slight. I don't think that is an insult. Some people just have. Certain limits, and some people get figured out, and some people just, you know, they're, they're past a certain threshold. I don't know that he can do it. I don't know that he should. I think that he should not be thrust back into any sort of situation that would elevate him to a title picture scenario right off the bat, especially not with as bad as middleweight is and as bad as light heavyweight is. There is a new crop of young gunners coming up, and they can do a lot of damage to an old hound like Weidman. Um, I'm sure he's not scared of it. And as I've mentioned regarding Weidman, that same dumb and dogged determination is what got him to win against Anderson Silva twice. Okay, nobody believed in him, but he did. And he made it. He made things work. Guys like this dedicate themselves to what they do in such a a strong manner that this is what it ends up looking like. When it works, when it hits, they look like geniuses. When they say stuff like this out in the wilderness, shit don't look too good. It doesn't sound great. And it seems really kind of sad. But at least I'm glad he's reinvigorated. Look, would you rather he just give up on himself and decide he's not going to do anything else again? Nah, of course not. And sure, the ambiance and everything of grappling, that's a very different scenario from actually being in any sort of activity involving punchy face. But not bad. I'm okay with this. I'm glad that he was able to go out and do his thing. I'm glad that he was able to make the most of this opportunity and that he is thrilled to uh, make things Um, as as amenable as possible to get back into the MMA sphere. Good for him. I applaud him. I just really, really hope that he doesn't go out there and get embarrassed again. Safi, what do you make of his comments, and did you manage to see any of
1: his performance? I saw it after the fact. I'm really happy that he was able to get back in there and, and compete and everything, the the thing about him wanting to come back to MMA, I don't think I want to see that. His last win was Omari Akhmedov. And that was right before the Uriah Hall fight where he, you know, the, the the leg injury. And that fight was god-awful. And I cannot erase from my mind, after that god-awful fight, him saying that he was back. He was back because, you know, he'd broken a, a long losing streak. And then we have the fight with Uriah Hall
2: Or he broke something else.
1: (laughs) Already broke something else. (laughs) I don't know. I I don't want to see him come back. Is he 38? 38. 38. 38. Okay, that's a hop, skip, and a jump away from 40.
2: The mileage on that body makes him 40 plus easy.
1: Exactly. Because remember all the horrific long drawn out fights, especially the one with Maya where he had the terrible weight cut. You know, he's had some some dog fights for real. And then the Luke Rockhold fight. My goodness, that could have been stopped a lot sooner than it was. And then all the knockouts. I just I don't want to see Chris come back to the UFC for sure. Not the UFC.
2: Well, I mean, <laughs> it's either that or they feed him to like, I don't know, maybe PFL. I, I mean, what, PFL what else, what might else? be
1: OK for him, though. Uh, uh, who's over really? there who's over there at light heavy at pfl though
2: Ah, uh, boy i i didn't check the recent field for that i'm afraid no, uh, but it would it. have to
1: be at either light heavy or, or at middleweight but i would no. assume i would assume that he'd want to probably do light heavy after this long long layoff he's probably been uh, he won't
2: he won't have a choice because they they haven't had middleweight in a couple of years so yeah. i don't know if they brought it back yet or not so, if they intend to at all.
1: Exactly. Or or you have a Bellator and, and, you know, their light heavyweight division. How how does that look over there? It's not that stacked.
2: Probably not. And you have to also remember, he almost signed with Bellator.
1: And there is. <laughs> During
2: there the is, revenue years.
1: Yeah. And there is um, a, a little bit of money over there for a name like Chris Weidman to jump over to Bellator. I, I can see it. Also, we have to go back to a, a few months ago just maybe two three months back he was making comments publicly about how the fighters don't get enough of the pie Mm -hmm. he made public comments about that i honestly think that if he were to try to come back to the ufc they'd lowball him to shit or just tell him no i I don't want to see it but i'm not i'm not against him going to another organization where the competition isn't so deep
2: what is? I gotta wonder what his contract status looks like now. Now that you mention it,
1: yeah, I don't mm. know. I just, um, I, I like that he was able to get back out there and and do what he loves. But at the same time, I don't want to see him come back to the UFC.
2: That's that's oh. just me. We might
1: yeah, I don't know.
2: We we might not really have much of a choice. I mean, contractually, yeah, you know, I, I don't know. We, there there's there's some questions that got to be answered there
1: first. So I went back and I looked. Um, while you were talking, I I went and I just checked really quick on, on patellar injuries. And I was mostly right and somewhat wrong. And where I was wrong is it's not about putting the pressure. It's about immobilization of the knee. So that is basically what they were doing. Although immobilizing directly from the top might not have been a good idea <laughs> so mm-hmm. anyways i just want to provide that update while we're still here now we okay. are going to take a look at ufc vegas 71 that just happened and as i mentioned earlier victor took the week at th- with a, a score of three and two Mookie came in second with a score of two and three, and I was dead last with a score of one and four. So the Uh, standings right now, Victor is in the lead with 24 and 11. Mookie is second, 21 and 14. You're actually three ahead of Mookie, and I am in dead last, 18 and 17. So let's take a look back. At the card, and we're not going to review the whole entire card, but we are going to take a look at some, some of the more important fights that happen. So, Mirob uh defeating Piotr Jan and making it look like Piotr Jan couldn't catch a beat, you know? And Didn't yet, let him breathe. The other thing that bothered me about this fight was that it was not given a fight of the night honor. And it was fight of the night, in my opinion. I don't care about the people that thought it was boring. I did not. I thought it was gangbusters. I thought Merop shooting 49 attempts and managing to get 11 of them. Piotr defending 38 of them. You know, they both set records there. Um, They both fought their asses off. I think that Dana White already has his ass on top of his head where Merab and Aljo are concerned. As I mentioned earlier, I don't think they're in favorable light with him in the UFC at all. That's probably why there wasn't a Fight of the Night bonus awarded. That's just me spitballing here, but that's what I think. Victor, what did you take away from this fight other than Merab has the cardio of a god? Well,
2: we we knew that he'd have great cardio. The thing is whether or not he'd be able to, uh, you know, what what kind of pace they'd have in this particular fight. And what we ended up seeing was that Mirab did not care to ask those questions of himself. He decided to set that pace and go right at him from the outset. And that was insane. That was just like, man, okay, cool. He did that round one, round two, round three. And then by like round five, like, yo, he's still going. Like how was how he not slowing down? What the hell is this? It was pretty uh it, it was it was kind of wild watching that and thinking like okay so no signs of slowing down check wow no no wonder like this guy's been such a nightmare to deal with like this is this is just um you know he was sort of fighting against type a little bit in the sense that. You know, he was he was not quite as patient, but then that just made this even more impressive and it made it even worse for Jan. I, I don't think he was expecting that or game planning for it at all.
1: Indeed. Uh, I thought it was a good fight. I thought it was worth giving fight of the night to, And I think it's very telling that it was not awarded fight of the night. Now let's oh. get to the co-main event. Alexander Volkov looked phenomenal in there. Two things to note here. They said during Alexander Romanov's walkout that he was coming in about 20 pounds heavier. He had come in at like 245, 243, something like that in his last fight, but he came in at 264 on Saturday. The thing that really stuck out to me is they said that he didn't feel like training with his normal camp. He didn't feel like leaving home. So he stayed in Moldova, and I'm quoting directly to train with some guys there. Not to train with his normal team, not that he'd flown in special people to mimic Volkov or anything like that. Just he decided he felt like staying home in Moldova. And so he trained with some guys there.
2: Some guys. Some guys and there.
1: The uh the other side of the equation is Alexander Volkov. They said during his walkout that six months ago, he flew over to the United States and basically took up residence for six solid months, training all up and down California at various gyms because he did not think his grappling was up to snuff. He did not like Uh, the way some of his fights went. And so for six solid months, he's just been training, grappling and jujitsu and wrestling at various gyms all over California. And I fucking love that. I love taking stock of yourself and realizing where your weaknesses are and doing something proactive to fix them. Volkov has my undying respect for that. Victor.
2: I, mm, okay. I want to tap the brakes on that for a minute okay? Did Volkov, did he or did he not visit the best gym California has to offer Glendale Fight Club? Yes or no?
1: I, just, I doubt that. Yes or no? I need to know. I need to know
2: now. <laughs> that's some crazy. That's just like, I mean, you want to talk about like the Dickensian aspect, okay? You want to talk about a dude like, yo, I'm going to go train with some dudes. I'm going to do the James Tony. That worked out great. Right? And then this other dude was like, Shit, I gotta get to California. Get to some grappling. <laughs> on yeah. top of that, predictably, right? I mean, I didn't know about this part because again, I don't watch the fights with commentary on most of the time. And that's probably well. I did catch some of the commentary this past weekend, and man, I'm just, I I do not miss it. I there were just some lulls. There was some weird dead space going on. Like what what is going on with these? Uh, whatever point is point is I missed the part where that introduction had taken place, and uh yeah it showed man you i can tell you weren't doing the usual training you come in that fat i mean again grappling people tend to lose certain pounds people tend to not be quite as uh i don't know I, they, they they tend to be a little more agile when they're more active and this is i know i got that weird hang up with fat heavyweights but you look at that performance and tell me i'm wrong go ahead yep like come on man what what was that i don't that nothing there Scream like yeah, that's a professional fighter that's dedicated his life to the craft. I and mean, it's a shame because we know that he does, but ugh, God damn, dude. It would be good for Volkov, I guess. Whatever.
1: All right. Nikita Krilov and Ryan Spam put on one hell of a three and a half minutes. That was a gangbusters fight. I love that fight. I'm so sad that Ryan Span doesn't have the composure to sit down and just relax for a moment because he tapped so fast, so goddamn fast in that, uh, that triangle that I feel like maybe he didn't know what to do there, that maybe they didn't drill triangles enough with him because the speed with which he tapped in regards to how well he did in the other scrambles leading up to that moment. He was in some trouble all over the place, and he was defending well. But the second the triangle goes on, he was like, oh, hell no, I can't do this. And that was it.
2: Well, you know, I do have some sympathy here, too, because as someone who was only able to deliver memorable moments three and a half minutes at a time, uh, I I think that this was... (laughs) I, I I think this was, this was, you're, you're kind of right. I think it's a triangle thing because like, I don't know, I'm looking at this, this thing happening in slow motion and I'm thinking, well, why, why did, did the bite get that deep? You know, like, did did, did Krilov slap that on so confidently and, and so strongly that Span didn't feel like he had the kind of avenues to just any kind of real space to navigate his way to at least fight that? Maybe his arms were burnt out. The, I, like, I don't know. I don't know what happens to some of these cats but like, it is really weird to see him tap to a triangle like that, even if it was a pretty good triangle. And from a guy who definitely knows his thing when it comes to uh, a lot of his submission game, I kind of didn't expect things to go the way they did because what we got was exciting. Sure. But was not organized (laughs) chaos. And I don't think you can really like hate on that either. But at the same time, it's like, you know what you're getting into when you watch, when you watch Krillov fight at the very least. I, I, yeah, the, I, I'm still very confused as to what that was. I'd like to hear from Span as to what his um, right. I
1: mean, what, that yeah, like, what, like... what
2: he felt in that moment, you know, because damn.
1: That seemed like a complete adrenaline dump and lack of composure and absolute panic because, yeah. I mean, that was the fastest tap. And at watching him defend so well with, with all of Nikita's other attacks, it just left me scratching my head, too.
2: Right. He had an answer for the other stuff. But then when it came to that one, that one just, you know, yeah. and, and these things happen like you. You're absolutely right. It could have been. It could have easily been an adrenaline dump, and that stuff happens, man. There's no real shame in that. It is what it is.
1: Yeah, for sure. Uh, next up, Jonathan Martinez upsetting or Nurmagomedov. Now, when I first watched this, I was like, well, I can see it being a split. I can see it being a draw. I couldn't see it being unanimous. But then I went back and I watched it a second time. You know what? Jonathan Martinez won that fight. I don't have a problem with it.
2: Well, I didn't see it more than once, but I mean, I was pleasantly surprised. I'm like, oh, shit. Okay. All right. I see you, man. I didn't think that he'd have that. But what did I say the other day right when I was picking him I'm like, oh, these factory X guys, man, they come in. They're smart. They're well-prepared. And, you know, I just thought that still, regardless, I, I didn't think that uh, Saeed would, um, you know, I, I didn't expect him to go easy in any way. I thought he'd be his usual relentless self. And he kind of was, but. The difference he was at time. the
1: end of round one, though. I mean, it was like once round one was over, that was it. That was like his best moments. And from there, it was like devolution throughout the rest of the fight.
2: It did feel a little. Yeah, it did feel like there was a bit of a drop off and that stuff happens too, you know, Martinez, uh, you know, I don't want to take any credit from him either. I mean, he did the damn thing. He did everything properly, he did everything he was supposed to do and he capitalized on it. So. Uh great for him and, and what the what a win, right? For for a division like that. Yeah, for sure.
1: And then finally we get to Vitor Petrino uh taking that decision off Anton Turcali. Now, I didn't have it 3026. I also didn't have a thirty twenty seven. I would have given it twenty nine twenty eight because I felt like Vitor um, didn't have the best round two. I think Anton Tarkali did enough to win that round two. But round one was all Vitor. Round three was all Vitor. Um, but you know, you were the the most important part here was you were right about his athletic talent. I mean, he's just a gifted athlete in general. Lots of fast twitch fibers with that guy, and his his recovery. Okay, let's let's talk about that for a second. He was gassed at the end of round one, so he took all of round two off. I mean, there were moments in round two where he came close to getting finished, which is why I had to scratch my head when I saw thirty twenty seven on two cards and thirty twenty six on another card because Anton Trakali had good moments in round two for sure. And then we get him. We get Vitor back in round three and um he's not fully refreshed and recovered but he has refreshed and recovered enough to do enough damage to you know successfully take the round in my eyes and probably everybody else's eyes too hmm. but i did not have this as lopsided as the judges did
2: okay yeah i can see that i mean yeah this it, the scoring here did feel a little wonky, a little weird i don't know what i would have given it in the end but yeah, that, that did. Uh, I mean, like, I I still feel the right guy won. But, yes,
1: for sure. Absolutely. Yeah. And Vitor is on my radar. I mean, that guy gets his cardio in order of, whew, he's a killer.
2: Yeah, he's, he just needs to round out some stuff, but he's uh, he looks like he's definitely going to be a problem there. Again, these, this is the kind of guy that I was talking about earlier when we were talking about Weidman. Like, guys like this are going to be coming up, and they're they're not quite as mature in the fight game yet, but... You give them a couple more fights you know these guys are going to be uh they're going to be making a whole lot of noise
1: now there's two fights i'm just going to briefly touch on real quick davy grant's insane inverted triangle choke came as a result of some unfortunate reffing because first of all taking the point and then standing them and then putting them in a standing position as opposed to the position they were in i i mean even paul felder put out a tweet that said I, or put it, put out a comment, excuse me, that said, I'd rather have the position than the point. And he's right. I mean, we could have seen uh, Rafael Asuncao get that old man win, but we didn't get the opportunity because of that whole series of events and Davy Grant, you know, capitalized on it. He's an opportunist and, you know, bully for him. I love it. But at the same time, I just feel like that was super unfortunate for Asuncao.
2: Yeah, and ended up uh, ending his career, calling mm-hmm. it short right there. Yeah. yeah.
1: Now, the other fight that I really enjoyed was um, seeing SD Cedric Dumas get his ass handed to him by Josh Fremd. Fremd or foe? He was definitely your foe. Uh, I loved it. Good guillotine. It was awesome. Just desserts, Mr. No Contest. I don't,
2: I don't understand what, what. I mean, it just. This dude, his his legal case, and this is something we'll have to expand upon later on, you know, and, and this maybe might not be, but, like, this dude had a court date right before the fight. This dude had already had this latest incident just after he'd fought in Contender Series. At least I believe it was, if I got my timeline right. It was sometime right. in November, and right. the Contender Series wrapped up around October from what I remember last year. So, yeah. Odd, right? Funny stuff, but, hey. Yeah. You no, know, you don't come back from hitting a woman. Nope, you, you sure should don't do the boss.
1: That is the one thing you don't come back from. It's we take that very seriously. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Liars. Yeah. Liars. Stuff. But anyways, it was really nice seeing somebody give him some justice. So Josh Frimmed, you have a place in my heart forever. And that's pretty much our wrap-up of you know UFC Fight Night Yam versus Dwalishvili. Thursday, we'll be looking ahead to UFC 286, which is a pretty solid card. So on that fine note, we're gonna wrap up the show. You know the drill. Follow Victor because he's fucking awesome. He's at Vic M. Rodriguez on Twitter and Victor Sinister Rodriguez on Instagram, and he's Tiger Driver.
2: Ninety, 91. huh? Ninety-one.
1: Tiger Driver, ninety-one. I'm gonna get it on my own by next year. But anyways, Tiger Driver, ninety-one on OnlyFans. Now, you can follow Mookie on Twitter at Mookie Alexander and visit him at SV Nation's Field Goals website. Victor and I work for Bloody Elbow. You can find our work there. And if you listen to the pre-recorded outro. You can find out where you can listen to this show and all the other great Bloody Oboe Presents shows. So until next time, please stay safe. Just a little reminder that you can support the MMA Vivisection, the MMA Depressed Us, and the sixth round post-fight show simply by going to patreon.com slash mmavivisection. With three different tiers ranging from $3 to $7, it's incredibly easy to show support to your favorite analysts, Zane, Connor, Eddie, and Phil. So if you have a few dollars to spare, please consider us. Thank you so much.
3: is editorial writing. And um, doing editorial writing there's always a question of is there a squeeze on you what are you what are you going to say you know do do we have you know financial backers who are also in bed with the ufc or bellator you can't say this you can't Mm -hmm. say that and that's something that i always love about bloody elbow is that you know it like Like for me, Blade Elbow is like the only remaining blog. And that sounds like a diss to a lot of people, especially in a journalistic sense, but I mean it in the best way possible. Because I know for a fact that almost every person who makes a decision in this sport, whether it's someone from the UFC, from Bellator, from one championship, Ryzen, people who work for athletic commissions, they read Bloody Elbow every day, every fucking day. And for me, it feels kind of like the last bastion where people can, I, I don't think it's the only good source of MMA editorial writing, but It feels like, for me, the last bastion of MMA editorial writing, where people can just be honest.
0: Thank you for tuning in to this Bloody Elbow Presents production. To check out more of our content, subscribe to our YouTube channel, which is titled Bloody Elbow Presents, we're also on SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Stitcher, Spotify, TuneIn, Overcast, Player FM, and Amazon Music. Just search for Bloody Elbow Presents and you'll get brand new shows throughout the week, including Care Don't Care, the Level Change Podcast, the MMA section, the 6th Round Post-Fight Show, 6th Round Retro. The MMA Depressed Us, Crookland's Corner, Exclusive Fighter Interviews, Show Money, Guest Podcasts, and The Hey Not The Bass Podcast. Be sure to follow us on Twitter at Bloody Elbow, Facebook at facebook.com slash blog, and as always on bloodyelbow.com.
1: Thank you all for your ongoing support in our journey to take Bloody Elbow independent. Please subscribe today to bloodyelbow.substack.com. With your support, we can continue to provide you with your best source of MMA content 24 7, 365. Thanks so much for listening.